there being only one universe to be explained. Nobody could repeat the act of Newton, the luckiest of mortals. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Oh, yeah, baby, Lagrange. It is one of your favourite words, if not your favourite word. Giuseppe Ludovico Lagrange. 25th of January, 1736. Was his birth in Turin, but he died today, on this very day, 10th of April, 1813, at the age of 77, in Paris. Rest in peace, you legend. So what do you think of that quote? Look, it was good at the time. Yeah. But now, Matt, I mean, Einstein has sort of put two fingers up to that, hasn't he? <laughs> a little bit. And near the end of the show, maybe someone else has stuck a couple of fingers up it as well. Oh, so, okay. um, we'll yeah, it'll be quite interesting. Uh, th- this week is Space News Week, Jamie. There are no interviews. I've got loads lined up. So it's going to be a bit of an interview fest from now on. But what I will do, I've got a, quite a bit of online content. Oh. I've got some interviews from Damstadt from ESOC. Oh, sweet. Uh, that I've never used because they're not quite the right format for the show. But I'm going to stick them on our Patreon page, free for everyone to go and listen to, including the patrons. Mm. But yes, if you if you go over to our Patreon page, you, you can listen to various different audio files from the various people that work at Damstadt. Uh, they're very, very interesting. Well, that's a beautiful thing. So I'm thing. going to put them up over the week, Jamie. Matt, if uh, there are any new listeners, I mean, we normally do this at the end of the show, but why not do it now mm. just in case they get bored and drop out halfway through? Uh, how, do you be- <laughs> how do you become a patron? Uh, you go to www.interplanetary.org.uk and follow the links, or you could just go straight to patreon.com forward slash interplanetary and join there. Currently, Jamie, I've slightly reworded our pledge last week. I was going to say. What do you think? Yeah. What do you think about this? Jamie and I are between us are going to match our Patreon fund and donate that to the various COVID-19 charities. Now we're talking. Because we know that, that, of course, you donated that money in good faith to go towards the podcast. Of course, that money will still go towards the podcast and making it better. So that money is safe and going into the podcast. And Jamie and I will make sure that we match that Patreon fund with our money God, it's best going of, out. Best to, of both worlds. First, My first week is going over to Dragon Aerospace, Jamie, just so you know, oh, to wow. help them build face masks for the NHS. That is a wonderful thing. And for the second week, I would like it to go to uh, a charity very close to my heart. I'm actually a trustee, and it's Smart. They're called Smart. They are a London-based mental health charity, and they're doing excellent work uh, getting people through this tough time when they can't get out you know so Mm. round of applause to all of our patrons and for anyone who's supporting us at this time awesome jamie do you know it's exactly a year ago since the image of a black hole in the m87 galaxy serious that's a year ago that's that's insane (laughs) that's gone so quick that is amazing isn't it um of course this week is going to be apollo 13 50th anniversary week yeah. 
there's some brilliant stuff over on the NASA website. Lots of um, redone footage, so it's lots to enjoy there. Um, so, what's happened this week, Matt? Well, you know, we talked about all the Earth's largest telescopes last week. Oh, big do I? <laughs> well, I was reading in an article by Eric Betts in Astronomy magazine that um, pretty much all of them have shut down because of COVID-19. So that, and I was thinking, what what on earth is the repercussions of that? Hmm. You know, is are we going to lose like really important data? Now, there's a couple that I believe have stayed open, the ones that are kind of looking out for asteroids and things like right. that that might destroy the planet. But I thought that this um, quote uh, by John Mulcahy of the Carnegie Observatories, he says... If we have our first bright supernova in a hundred years, that will be terrible. I mean, how annoying will it be if uh, Betelgeuse goes up and we miss it because you all the telescopes are down? Imagine <laughs> that. Like, oh. oh my God, it'd be so annoying. Uh, it says, but except for really rare events like that, most of the science will be done next year. The universe is 30.7 billion years old. We can wait a few months. That's the attitude. So, Matt, this is a stupid question, but uh, mm -hmm. there's some, I, I assume that they're all shut down because it takes people to obviously man the observatories, but are there people who can, are there, are there big telescopes that can just be left to their own devices and just be done remotely? Uh, uh, there are some robotic telescopes, yes, but uh, presumably they still need some mechanical oversight. Yeah. These are huge mechanical thing so someone i must and i can't see that being a problem that no. someone that obviously lives They're locally who's a technician can go and repair it what's your favorite observatory you've been to matt the favorite observatory i've been to is the royal greenwich observatory only because of its unbelievable historical context and the fact that harrison's clocks are there which is just oh, mind-blowing insane so yeah, yeah that's pretty good I, yeah. i'm a big fan of hearst monsoon have you ever been there no very yeah, cool. I'll good. take you there when this is all over. Oh, nice. Uh, I also really liked one I went to in Prague. Oh, I've been to that one. You told me about that one and I walked up the hill, didn't I? Nice. Yeah, you, you were tracking my progress. Uh, on a on a pretty terrifying note, uh, Tony Beasley, the director of National Radio Astronomy, hmm. Uh, he. this is what he said, it's going to be hard to build new telescopes as millions of people are out of work. I suspect the largest impact will be the financial nuclear winter that we're about to live through. Yes, uh, nuclear winter. I, I, <laughs> that's that's <laughs> a line that will go in the film. Yeah, so uh, talking of nuclear and uh, and nuclear winters, uh, Jamie, this is a little uh, news story I spotted on Twitter that that kind of made me. Uh, we'll we'll get onto happier stories after this one, I promise. Please. But uh, this one this one made me uh, sit up and pay attention. So this okay. week, Christopher Ford, who is the U.S. Assistant Secretary at the State Department's Bureau of International Security and Non-Proliferation, hmm. you you know him well. Uh, he explicitly laid out that if anyone attacked any of the US's space-based assets that were part of its strategic nuclear command, even though that would be a conventional attack, it would be considered so serious that the US may respond with nuclear retaliation. There we go. Which is basically saying to the Chinese, and I guess to the Russians as well, if you knock out one of our satellites because you think it's an annoying spy satellite 
and it turns out that it's part of our you know nuclear systems then the world is basically over which is a comforting thought it is isn't it oh god well, i'll tell you what you're gonna to have to give us some good news please all right okay I, okay i will give you some good news I have just finished watching the launch of MS-16 on schedule up to the International Space Station. So that's Anatoly Ivanishin, Ivan Wagner, and Christopher Cassidy. Ah, what a trio. They have all been in very strict quarantine for a month. So it's been one of the oddest launches ever Hmm. because there's been no family or anything to see them off. But weirdly, the two Russians don't have any clothes because they were swapped out. Like I was t- saying a couple of weeks ago, they were swapped out because one of the the original members, one of them had hurt his eye during training. So they were swapped out at the last minute. And there's no clothes. So they're taking some of them with them and they'll have to wait for a resupply ship to deliver the rest of their clothes later on. Well, they might see a full moon quicker than they thought. The Interplanetary Podcast, putting the ace back into space. Oh, that's good, Jamie. That is good. Um, Thanks. It's the first launch, of course, for quite some time. We haven't had anything since um, since Atlas V that did that first ever Space Force launch on the 26th of March. 26th Although, of March, yeah. There was another, I think there was another Chinese launch today, and I believe by looking at Twitter that that may have gone wrong. Oof. But uh, it's too early to say. It is. Let's be, let's be positive. Until we know. Here is a good piece uh-huh. of news. So Rocket Lab have been sharing the video of a really successful test that they did earlier on in the year. But I'm not quite sure why we're only hearing about it now. But this is pretty impressive. So they have managed to do a mid-air recovery of one of their rocket boosters. Oh, wow. It wasn't an actual one that had gone up, but it was one that had – they flew a helicopter very, very high up and then dropped one of these boosters from it on a parachute. It then was caught by a second helicopter that was able to uh, capture it capture it midair at 5,000 feet with a grappling hook and uh, carry it to safety and back to land and gently plop it down on the grass. God damn. That is impressive, so- isn't it? Yeah, that is very impressive. So it's the third of these kind of tests to get Electron to be reusable. So in December and January, they they had guided re-entries. Uh, and the second, I think the second one managed to actually sort of land softly in the sea or at least controlled uh, landing in the sea. I think it was still going about 900 kilometres an hour. <laughs> right, yeah, it's pretty quick. Uh, but, it, but, but it was maintaining the correct angle of attack. And uh, the reason why it was still going so fast is because it didn't have parachutes. So the next test later on in the year will be with parachutes, but it will still hit the ocean. And then after that, I think they'll probably start trying to to capture these things. Well, yeah, do, it, this is what Peter Beck said, Go. Congratulations, eh, to the recovery team here at Rocket Lab on the flawless mid-air recovery test. Electron has already knocked access to space for small satellites, eh? But every strip closer to reusability is a step closer to even more frequent launch opportunities for our customers, eh? It's very hard not to slip into South Africa. That's what I just did, yeah. Yeah. Oh well, and you were a bit Australian as well. 
Well, it's that, softer, yeah, isn't it? It's more, it's more. Yeah, but that's why I had to put. If I put in A after some stuff, then it's okay. Yeah, exactly. I noticed you were yeah. doing that. Yeah. Um, um, yes, it, it. You know, it's actually not about the with the with Rocket Lab. It's not really about the the cost of building these things. Yeah. Uh, the reusability. It's more about the ability to double your production output mm. so that they can get a better launch cadence or more frequent launches. Apparently, they're building a rocket every 20 days, which Bloody which hell. means they must have a pretty uh, large manifest of launches. Here's a very good news story for a very small company, Jamie. This uh-huh. uh, There's a company with that last year only had 15 employees. And that is Maston Space Systems, and okay. they have they have just been given one of these brilliant awards by NASA for the CLIPS initiative, the Commercial Lunar Payload Services, which are part of the Artemis program. A seventy-five point nine million dollars goes to Maston Space Systems, and that means that they will deliver and operate a lander to the Moon's south pole in twenty twenty-two. Oh yes. I don't know what kind of bet you want to put on 2022. I would have thought that that's going to slip. It's supposed to be uh, yeah. laying the foundations for the Artemis human landings of 2024, which if that happens now, I really will be totally... I mean, I've been amazed before COVID-19, but I'll be super amazed now. I'm going 20, 24, 26. What for? Uh, uh, twenty four for Maston, twenty six for humans. Yeah, yeah, I d- yeah. That's not a bad call. That's not a bad call. It's where the smart money's at. Yeah, I'd, I'll go along with that bet, Jamie. I think you'd still get okay. pretty good odds for it. Um, so yeah, this is what Jim Bride of Frankenstein said. He said, "Under our Artemis program, we are going to the moon with all of America. These clips deliveries are on the cutting edge of our work to do great science and support human exploration." Up the moon. I think they should get you to do all their press announcements. Uh, and Jim Bridenstine just sort of mimes it. Exactly. Yeah, so this is end-to-end services for the delivery of these scientific payloads. So payload integration, launch from Earth, landing on the moon's surface, operating for 12 days. And, yeah, that's uh, – so that, So, Maston Space Systems need to land these payloads on the moon with its XL-1 lander. So that's super exciting. That is exciting. Something to look forward to at last. Do you want to know what the, uh, the these science payloads will be for, for Maston to deliver? Go on. Just do a couple of them. There's the Lunar Compact Infrared Imaging System, which basically will uh, – map the moon's surface composition, its surface temperature, and will also look at using that type of instrument for future lunar resource utilisation activities. So pretty important. And a couple more ac- acronyms for us. L-CYRUS. And then there's the LETS, the Linear Energy Transfer Spectrometer. Boom. Uh, which measures radiation on the moon's surface. Uh, there's already one of those going in 2021. There's a little small robotic rover, the Moon Ranger, a 30-pound little uh, rover that's going to go round. Uh, there's M-Solo, the mass spectrometer observing lunar operations. Yeah. What that does, it looks at the gases coming off the lander so that it can kind of uh, take them out of, the ob- uh, of other observations so that it's not... You're not saying, oh, my God, there's loads of uh, burnt hydrazine on the moon. And it turns out that, oh, no, it was just off the 
it was just off the rocket fuel. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, easy mistake yes. to make. Yeah, so uh, that should be really, really exciting. I think uh, that uh, Maston, very tiny little company, are going to the moon with a whole bunch of uh, science experiments. Live long and prosper, Maston. It's all Love kicking it. off. Here comes the big ticket, the SpaceX news, Jamie. Oh, finally. Drink. Uh, yes, this week saw the splashdown of the very last Dragon 1 spacecraft. Pew. Flew its final mission, the cap- capsule number C122.3. RIP. Which uh, flew on, yes, SPX CRS-20, which is the 20th resupply of the ISS for NASA. Yeah. And you know what uh, uh, spacecraft will supersede the Dragon 1 spacecraft will be Let me take a wild guess. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Dragon 2. Oh, good guess. Exactly. You're bang on, Jamie. Yes, Dragon, Dragon 2, 2, the remake. Do you know what uh, two ver- main varieties that comes in? Oh, Matt, would it be Crew Dragons uh, and Cargo Dragons? It will be. Crew and Cargo variants. But I okay. think... Because obviously it's reusable, and 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 the big advantage of Dragon 2 is that it can dock to the space station without any help, so it's completely yes. autonomous. It doesn't yeah. it doesn't need someone like Tim Peake operating Canadarm to drag it no. in. So um, yes, that which is impressive. But once it's been used as a crew Dragon to carry astronauts up to the space station, when it's reused again, I believe it becomes a cargo Dragon. Uh, do you know only one one of the Dragon One spacecraft was lost, and that was on on the seventh um, mission, SPX seven. Oh, bad going, and that was lost, and that lost the international docking adapter or one of them. But I, what I didn't realise is when the Falcon Nine blew up because of a dodgy strut, that um, capsule could have saved itself by deploying its parachutes because it was actually not actually destroyed um but the software yeah it, it just didn't it just didn't have a kind of if the rocket blows up then deploy parachutes line of code in there so it just never happened so uh everything was lost but it actually needn't have been it could have parachuted down and then been recovered that is nuts. To be fair, I think Dragon 1 has to go down as one of the most important spacecraft of the last decade it's because a big it's deal. essentially it is a big deal because it was part of NASA's commercial resupply service program or CRS which essentially gave Musk the money to be able to develop Falcon 9 and Dragon and everything else that he's really done. I mean it's 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 lots and lots of money from the American taxpayer but it's already paid for itself because Elon Musk has been so much cheaper than the competitors. So right. it's a it's it's definitely a win-win-win all round. It's one of those really good success stories where in every way it all worked out for everyone. It's a triple win. It is a triple win. So it became the first ever commercially built spacecraft to be recovered after an orbit. And it's the first commercial spacecraft to rendezvous with the ISS. I mean, both of those are incredible considering, you know, it took a lot of, say, ESA's resources to do the same thing. Hmm. You know, ESA, you know, that's a massive undertaking for ESA and ESA don't have that capability anymore. Um, 
So it's it's you realise that you know a little private company with a fairly rogue <laughs> CEO uh, uh, have achieved a lot. Yes, and uh, of course we've got the Dragon XL that was uh, announced on March the twenty seventh. 27th part of the gateway logistic services uh-huh. so again it carries on that um that tradition of elon musk basically hope hopefully carrying on this win-win-win solutions for nasa and for space travel well fingers crossed don't stop now don't stop musk now <laughs> if we want to have a good space race i love that i'd dance to that at the end of the wedding um i think i might have gone mad during um what's it called lockdown mate you're gonna have to edit the word might out of that sentence okay okay i'll, I'll edit. <laughs> i'm gonna call it lockdown madness lockdown madness the EP. <laughs> during my lockdown madness however i did watch the footage of a starship number three sn3 being destroyed so oh. from what i could see there spacecraft are only just about strong enough to hold their own weight and if you if you pump them full of fuel they would just collapse hmm. uh, unless they've got the pressure of the fuel actually pushing out and holding the whole thing rigid um a bit like a exactly like a bouncy castle. I, I, you can get on the bouncy castle as long as it's pressurized, but the moment you take the pressure out, the whole thing collapses. Right, and it looks like there was two tanks being filled with cryogenic nitrogen, and the bottom one doesn't look as though it, it either lost pressure or wasn't filled correctly, and uh, so the top half of the uh, of Starship got too heavy and just it all crumpled and fell on the floor. Would you like an um, Elon Musk quote, Matt, about this? Oh, yeah, especially if it's in a South African accent. Every day, in every way, Scrooge <laughs> is getting worse. Oh, sorry, that's, that's Muppet's Christmas Carol. Uh, where's the <laughs> quote? There we go. We will see what data review says in the morning, Brie. But this may have been a test configuration mistake. It's a weird one, isn't it? Because when you, if it's a, someone made a mistake... That sounds like it's a bad thing, but it might be a good thing because they might just say, oh, do you know what? Actually, nothing was really that wrong with the spacecraft. But this is the thing that everyone's been really excited about this week. <laughs> I know uh, what you're uh, going to uh, say because uh, <laughs> I was one of those people. Is is the NASA worm logo being painted on the side of the Crew Dragon Falcon 9 booster? Yeah. That's what everyone got really excited about. But, there were some people who sort of pointed out that the worm logo represents a period of time in NASA's history, i.e. 1976 to 1992, where a large part of that history was pretty rancid and yeah. uh, associated with not a lot of flying, severely under budget, everything else. So, yeah, um, the worm logo, I love it. But I, I must admit, I did think like the excitement around it was a little bit over the top. Um, but uh, yes, that looks like the uh, Crew Dragon test, Jamie, will be delayed until June Standard. because of some just the norm some now. stupid virus. Yeah, well, I don't know what you're um, talking about. Uh, but rival Boeing, I mean, really, that this is a stinker. They were supposed to have been sending astronauts up as well to the International Space Station in the Starliner. However, they really did have an absolute catastrophe with their test in December. 
that ended up being worse than everyone thought it was because there was all there was like several software glitches that mm. could have been disastrous. So right. they've stuck over four hundred million dollars out of their own pockets to refly Starliner. And they haven't even waited for NASA's decision on that. They've just gone, right, no, we really need to fly again. So, so we're doing it. So I really doubt we'll see a Starliner carrying humans in 2020. And considering we've been talking about this since 2017, at least, and really it should have been something like 2016 that this was all happening, that's, that's, that's pretty catastrophe, I would it's say. It's not great. So, Issa, what's happening? Oh, so uh, if you happen to download this podcast uh, first thing in the morning, which I doubt, so you've probably all missed it now, but um, yes, Beppy Colombo will be buzzing the earth on its flyby. So it's doing a nice gravity assist manoeuvre, the first of nine, in fact, as it whizzes past earth to get enough uh, speed or velocity, or change of velocity, enough delta V to get into the innermost part of the solar system where it can observe Mercury. Oh, my goodness gracious. Annoyingly, though, it really you, uh, you either have to be very, very southern in the northern hemisphere or living in the southern hemisphere to be able to see it properly. You might hmm. be able to see it, and you can only really see it if you've got some good binoculars and or a good old telescope i'm southern matt i'm southern in the northern hemisphere aren't i mm, you might be able to see it you might be able to see it if if you really 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 try but okay uh good yeah i think it's going to be very it's going to be a tricky one um but yeah so that's first of nine gravity assists the next two will be using the slightly closer venus and that's not going to happen until october and then again in august 2021 and then it has six flybys of Mercury to get it oh, into the right orbit. Glory. Uh, and by the time it's done all that, then the two parts of it, which is the Mercury Magnetospheric Orbiter, or the MMO, that belongs to JAXA, and the Mercury Planetary Orbiter, which are the ESA parts, um, will separate from one another and they will start their scientific operations in 2026. 2026, okay. About the time we might be going to the moon. Don't excite me. <laughs> the This week was the 10th birthday of Europe's mighty cryosat. Oh, glory. And that, I tell you what, that, that launched on a really bizarre rocket, the Dnieper rocket that, that comes from an underground silo. Weird. Like a proper you know, intercontinental ballistic missile. So, yes, that came from Kazakhstan, blasting up uh, 10 years ago. And, yes, Cryosat's been very, very important when it comes to measuring the change of ice. Okay. And it's brought us really good news stories like how Greenland and Antarctica are losing ice six times faster than we expected. Oh, it's a sad bit of news. Uh, so, yes, I lied when I said it's it's good news from now on in. But uh, Cryosat is still working. And, well, Matt, and... maybe the ice is stopping, you know, melting as fast because of the virus. Is that a thing yet? No, I don't think so, Jamie. I, I, I think... The damage is done. I think the march is going... Damage is done and it won't make much difference. But, yeah, I mean, who knows? Economic slowdowns, 
it's not. I don't know, Jamie. It's complicated, isn't it? The old world and Matt, the you know, you mentioned the cryosat. Mm-hmm. What does it look like? It looks like it's got uh, a pair of breasts. Oh. <laughs> I think oh, I seem okay. to. I seem to remember we took a very hilarious photo of me underneath uh, a scale model of it in at when we <laughs> when we visited Estee. Oh, it's what. Thank you for the memories. The interplanetary podcast putting the ace back into space. It is quite funny. There you though. go. It is. It is yeah. quite cartoon esque. Here's a little bit. There was actually a the very first European external commercial facility on the International Space Station arrived oh, yeah. earlier this week, and it's been attached Glorious. to the Columbus Laboratory Module, and it's called Bartolomeo, who is the younger brother of Christopher Columbus. Is he like the Italian Bartholomew? I guess so. I like it. I'm into it. Bartolomeo, that was installed, of course, by the robotic arm, uh-huh. the Canadarm, and Dexter as well. I love Dexter. Have you ever, have you ever seen Dexter in action? I don't like, think I have. It's like a sort of little robot that fits on the end of the Canadarm and, and does all the intricate stuff. It's quite funny. It is a, a, wow. an amazing piece of equipment. And, yes, that, that took Bartolomeo out of the Dragon cargo trunk uh-huh. And uh, yeah, moved it on to Columbus, where it's going to start doing sciencey stuff. Oh, that is beautiful. I do like Dexter. Well, I'm going to Google it after the show. Jamie, I couldn't go without doing a little bit of space science that came in. Uh, NASA ran with this story. ESA ran with this story as well. So obviously, they think it's quite important, and it involves uh-huh. NASA and ESA. The great telescopes, um, as we shall yeah. see. So yes, that a paper came out uh, in it was published this month in Astronomy and Astrophysics by K. Migkath et al. Probing cosmic isotropy with a new X-ray galaxy cluster sample through the LXT scaling relation. And if you haven't read this, I mean, where have you been? <laughs> now, don't get don't get too worried. Because it's actually quite easy to follow if it's broken down, I find. I did actually read the abstract and, and felt like I understood it. <laughs> Matt, so, do me a favour. Break it down for me. Oh, here, here we go. So uh, isotropy or isotropy or isotropy. You mean iso- uniformity in all orientations? That's right, Jamie. Yeah, so like, if, okay. if you are very, very good at kneading dough, you should be aiming for a bit of isotropy or isotropy. It's amazing. There's lots of different um, uh, ways of saying that word. Isotropy. Matt, talking of dough, did you hear about the the baker who had brown hands? Uh, he needed a poo. Good. Little little uh, a- little April joke for you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, astronomers, they've assumed that the universe is expanding at the same rate in all directions. You must have heard this. Correct. You know, dark yes. energy is, is, is forcing the universe apart. Uh, but this study uses data from XMM Newton, ESA's great X-ray observatory, NASA's great uh-huh. uh, X-ray observatory, the Chandra Space Telescope, 
and a couple of others, the Rossat X-ray Observatory that is from Germany, DLR, and uh, they suggest that this might be wrong. So the isotropy hypothesis goes like this, that the universe has, despite some local differences where the where the uh, galaxies are pulling themselves together, you can observe the same pr- uh, properties in each direction on the largest scale. So everything looks the same on the largest scale, that the universe is sm- basically smooth and has this isotropy. But... Uh, and the cosmic microwave background backs this up. It looks like there was a uniform distribution in the sky in the early uh-huh. days of the universe, and that expanded rapidly at the same rate in all directions. Uh, the, the CMB kind of backs that up. But what these guys have done, and this is the here's the lead author, Konstantinos Migas. Uh-huh. We looked at the behavior of over 800 galaxy clusters in the present universe. If the isotropy hypothesis was correct, the properties of the clusters would be uniform across the sky. But we actually saw significant differences. Wow. And when they say significant, they mean out by 30%. That's big. They used a sample of 313 galaxy clusters. 237 clusters from Chandra, 76 from XMM-Newton, and then they used uh, other clusters from Japan and Germany and lots of other different X-ray telescopes. Mm. So 842 different galaxy clusters in total in the end. So what they've used is this X-ray temperature measurement, right? So an X-ray temperature measurement is the hot gas that's in between all these clusters and they're measuring right. the temperature of that gas using uh, using x-ray information now that was then compared with how bright the cluster appears in the sky uh, so hopefully what would happen is clusters of the same temperature and located at a similar distance should appear with a similar brightness but it gotcha. turns out they don't uh, and, and that is a big deal. And it apparently is. Wait, out- are you telling me that all my study thus far has been wrong? Well, p- potentially, yes. So the difference is 30%. And not only are the differences 30%, they're not random. So it depends on the direction in which you're observing the sky that you have this discrepancy, so which really does point out that there's something going on, that the universe is expanding at different rates in different directions. Um, so here's the things that they had to rule out. They had to rule out that there wasn't undetected gas or dust clouds obscuring the view because obviously that would, uh-huh. dim, that would dim the clusters. But they think yeah. they've ruled that out. Now, the one thing they haven't ruled out are these things called bulk flows, which are large-scale motions of these galaxies that are being pulled by extremely massive structures, such as even larger cluster groups. And so they haven't fully ruled out bulk flows. Okay. They've looked at lots of other different effects, like X-ray absorption treatment, the effect of galaxy groups and low redshift clusters, core metallicities, and uh, yes, they uh, none of those are able to explain the results. Uh, so the project scientist at ESA who looks after XMM Newton said, This is a hugely fascinating result. Previous studies have suggested that the present universe might not be expanding evenly in all directions, but this result, the first time such a test has been performed with galaxy clusters in X-rays, 
has a much greater significance and also reveals a great potential for future investigations. That was Norbert Schartel, probably my favourite new name of the podcast. Norbert Schartel. Is this the work of dark energy, Jamie? <sighs> probably. Bloody dark energy. Blooming dark energy. So dark energy may have just become extremely more mysterious than before, which is a bit embarrassing considering it makes up uh, more than half of the energy in the universe. That's a lot. I mean, so lots of results would need revisiting if the major assumption of isotropy is overthrown. Gotcha. Yeah. X-ray studies have always assumed perfect isotropy, but it shows that there probably isn't this, uh, that, that that needs to be readdressed because A, there might be weird expansion rates all over the place, but this these bulk flows might also be uh, twisting the data. So there's a whole bunch of uh, results that would have to go back over and say, do you know what? We can't really rely on these results anymore because we've assumed something that just isn't true. Whether it's whether it's the expansion or the way that we treat X-rays, something's wrong. Basically, it uh, is. Yeah, I'm going to find out what it is. Well, hopefully, hopefully, ESA are about to launch Euclid, which is going to be a new uh, telescope, and uh-huh. that is going to image billions of galaxies and really uh, scrutinise this expansion of the cosmos. So it may be able to to solve the mystery. Um, But there's more data coming from uh, E-Rosita, which is another instrument uh, that was built by the Germans. Yeah, by the Max Planck Institute. And that was on board a German-Russian satellite called the Spectre-RG, and that's about to start uh, collecting lots and lots of data. So that should be really interesting. So a lot of work may soon be overthrown by this new piece of information. So that's actually very, very exciting. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, so the the universe might not just only be expanding, but expanding in not an even way, which will just make dark energy so much more complicated to unravel. Well, thank God, because it's it's just too easy to understand at the moment for me. <laughs> oh, Jamie, Jamie, Jamie. Uh, Jamie, shall we let the Spodcats enjoy their weekend? I think we should. It's too nice. Yeah, it's I, too nice. It but, is too But nice. remember, mm-hmm. get out for an hour to exercise, but... Stay away from each other and stay home. Protect the NHS. Clap on a Thursday, 8pm. If you'd like to donate to Patreon, then we will match it to uh, to these wonderful people on the front line. Front line doing stuff. Now, Matt, I'm off to eat some more COVID snacks and uh, rapidly expand my stomach in the same rate in all directions. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely having isotropic... Um, expansion. <laughs> Actually, it's not. Cream. I see. I I have very an, anisotropic expansion. It seems to expand around my neck before you know. I get a double. <laughs> I get a double chin before I get a belly. What the heck's that about? Yeah, it's weird. Anyone's got any idea how Matt can lose his double chin? Please let us know. <laughs> www.interplanetary.org.uk. Oh, that's really. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for that. Um, yeah. 
no. So yes, just look out for those those little extras that I'll be I'll be posting every now and then on the Patreon page. I'll obviously tweet and Instagram about it as we go. But I thought I want to get them out there. There's some great interviews coming up. I've got one with Kelvin from who's going to be talking to me about interstellar spacecraft, amongst lots ah, of other I love exciting Kelvin. things. Uh, there, yeah. uh, I've got a, a couple with people who've been making films. I've got a special in a couple of weeks with Alicia about isolation and Mars missions. Yes. So uh-huh. we'll just be at our wits end we're going to be rocking with the interviews <laughs> watch this space and yes let's uh quarantine madness has and lockdown madness hasn't set in too much no just look after yourself look after yourself look up because there's so much going on and and hope that uh that betelgaze or beetlejuice doesn't explode while all our big observatories are shut down because that really will be the biggest missed opportunity of all time we'll keep our fingers crossed right okay take care cheerio bye bye spotcats goodbye